Today we're going to be continuing our sermon series called uh, No Outsiders. And we're going to be looking at a familiar passage of Scripture that, um, that some call the Sermon on the Plain or the Lesser Beatitudes from Luke's Gospel, the sixth chapter. But I want to first say that years ago, I think I was flipping through the channels in Houston, so it was a long time ago, and there came, I came across a, a show where there was a Catholic priest teaching on this television show. And he said something that has stuck with me ever since. He said that the word blessed literally means to be touched by God. To be blessed is to mean touched by God. And I've used that understanding through the years, and it really does work. You know, every once in a while you'll meet somebody, as, as we did just a few days ago, that uh, you'll say, well, how are you? And they'll say, I'm blessed. Have you ever been in that position? And, and you know, sure enough, you find out that they, they are blessed, and, and maybe they understand that deeper meaning of being touched by God. But the bottom line is when we say we're blessed, we should never take that lightly. To be blessed, to be touched by God, is a significant a significant place to be. I hope each and every one of us understand ourselves to be blessed, but there's more to the blessing than just being blessed. It's how the blessed bless others, the blessed. Today, um, we're going to read the, the Sermon on the Plain, which the scripture text is not as popular as the Beatitudes out of Matthew's gospel where you have those Beatitudes listed there in quite poetic form. This particular passage of scripture comes to us in Luke's gospel that is, that is a different kind of, of presentation of the Beatitudes. Here we have Jesus coming down from the mountain and he comes down to that level place, as the scripture says today. And in the older translations, it says the plain. Therefore, we call this lesser beatitudes the, the plain, the, the sermon on the plain. And we understand that the difference in the two, Matthew and Luke, is basically that, 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 that the beatitudes in Matthew are not quite as demanding as the beatitudes in Luke. There are more Beatitudes in Matthew, but they're not quite as pointed as those in Luke. For example, Matthew says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And Luke says, Blessed are the poor. Matthew says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Luke says, Blessed are the hungry now. Luke says, there are also some woes that we need to be aware of. He says, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who, who, when others speak well of you. And just like in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount in, in, in Matthew, we find ourselves a little bit um, sore-footed for having our feet stepped on by the pointedness of the word. I want us to turn our, our Bibles this morning to the sixth chapter of Luke's gospel. I want to le read a little bit more than we have listed there in the bulletin, which is my privilege, you know. And I'd like for us to stand for the reading of God's word. 
I, I want to back up to the 19th chap, uh, verse of the 6th chapter of Luke and read this word because it sets the tone for what has been going on in Jesus' ministry. The 19th verse says, And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed all of them. Then he looked up to his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did of the false prophets. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, there are two kinds of people described in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Luke, and we have both groups represented here. The two kinds of people are the crowd and the disciples or the followers of Jesus. Up to this point, through the first five chapters, Jesus really hasn't taught anything. He, he really hasn't had hardly anything to say. He, he's all been about action. He's healed the sick. He's sparred with the Pharisees. He's called the disciples. He's attracted the crowds that are getting larger and larger because he's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's doing all of these things that are so spectacular, and we know how crowds are gravitating toward the, the spectacular, the sensational. And then in this sixth chapter that we just read, Jesus starts to teach. He outlines all that it means to be a Christian, all that, that Christian activity um, amounts to when it comes to our service in this kind of world. He goes up to the mountain, he recruits his disciples, and then he comes down the mountain. And, and the scripture says, there where the people were who had diseases, and he healed them. You see, the crowd he heals. He doesn't ask anything of them. Out of his compassion, he sees their sicknesses, and he heals them. And then they go on their way. They are the suffering of the world and Jesus has healed them and they, they go on their way. He doesn't heal the disciples. He doesn't have a comforting word for the disciples. He challenges the disciples. 
He challenges, it, challenges them into Christian service through his pointed teaching. And do you see what he's doing? He comes down from to the plain, from the mountaintop, down to the plain where he demonstrates the, the perfect aspect of the kingdom by the way he's mixing and mingling with the crowd, the, way, the ones who need him. It's as if he's saying that there's someday coming a day when all is to be like it is right now, when we're healed and when we're happy and joyful and peaceful. Just what you've seen. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that this time will come to pass. But Jesus is saying to all of the disciples then, and he's saying to us now, in the meantime, it's not that way. It's not perfect. It's not the kingdom. In the meantime, those of us disciples, followers of Jesus, must bless the ones he's identified as the blessing with our actions toward the poor, toward the hungry, toward those who weep, to be with them, to stand with them, to be beside them in all that, that they're about right now. He said to let them know who they are, whose they are as God's children. You know, this past week, we've been reminded that it's the anniversary of that horrific shooting in Parkland, Florida. You know, it seems like it's been years ago. Does it seem that way to you? That just a year ago. You know, I remember hearing parents of children who had been killed speaking out of their anger and out of their pain. And likewise, I heard a few politicians on television say this line. We don't need your prayers. We need your action. Did you hear that? You know, every follower of Jesus who hears that, it should sting a little bit because we know the power of prayer, right? And, and, and we know that we should start every godly action with prayer because we're calling on God who is beyond our ability to give us strength beyond our, our talents so that we can reach out in a way that will truly touch the blessed, those who mourn. So prayer is the center of our strength. It's the, it's the foundation of our relationship with God. And whether others appreciate it or not is not important. It, it's how we appreciate that and how we understand that we have to draw on a higher power if we're to be any good to anybody. And yet at the same time, we can hear from those who mourn this, this pointed charge to us. We don't need your prayers. We need your actions. In essence, we understand that the only way that the, the blessed can feel blessed is that we allow God to work through us and to be God's hands and God's feet and rolling up our sleeves and throwing our elbows into action to do whatever is needed to help the pain at that moment. We as Christians understand where that source of strength is for us, but at the same time, we're sensitive enough to hear that call from others and to realize they want to see a blessing, a touch from God that has flesh and blood, you and me. Do you remember our church's response to the Parkland shooting? 
We decided, and it was largely Sarah Luganville's uh, good hard work that put together a, a night here at Lover's Lane called Parkland Moves Us. We included politicians and law enforcement and some of our own students in this, um, um, in, in this event. And we addressed the topics of gun control and violence and, and particularly related to school shootings. And, and th there was a lot of good that came out of those discussions around the tables as many of our members gathered for that event. And we featured a young man whose name was Justin, who was a student at, at, um, at Stoneman Douglas High School. And he was also on the swim team. And one of the students who had been killed was a teammate and a dear friend of his. Now we got Justin's name through uh, Sarah calling the Methodist Church in Parkland and also through some of our own members who had connections to Parkland and Stoneman Douglas. And the first thing you know, we've got Justin and his dad just a few days later with all of these emotions very raw coming here to Dallas and being a part of our program. Last week, we got a word from Justin about the time that he spent here at Lover's Lane. And, you know, this kid wasn't a public speaker. He was, he was afraid. Uh, this was out of his element. But he told us when he came that he felt like God was telling him to accept our invitation. Justin had shared his word with a couple of songwriters and I saw a music video, a very high-quality music video, with Justin the lead in this music video. It was all about Justin. The song was from his heart, some of the words that he had put in the minds of these songwriters. And this song came to be that was so powerful. And, and there was Justin, who a year ago was in our Asbury Hall talking to us about his pain. And he said, in essence, I can't thank Lover's Lane enough for inviting me during this tough time and asking me to share my experience, for you helped me find my voice. And you helped me embrace my faith through the Methodist connection. Jesus said, blessed, touched by God, are you who weep. For now, you will laugh. You know what the most significant aspect of this text is to me? It says Jesus came down from the mountain to be with the people and he took his disciples with him. He said this is where Christianity is to work. Not on the mountaintop, but right here on the plain where everybody's eye to eye, where you're level. He said that Christianity is not a mountaintop religion, and we need to hear it. It's a plain religion, a level religion. It's a heart-to-heart, person-to-person, eye-to-eye religion. Sometimes we want to um, think that Christianity lives from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. Not so. Sometimes we want to lift Jesus to that level of being a guru or a, a wise person in his teachings and his inspirational thoughts meant so much to so many that his philosophy will live on forever. That's not Christianity. 
He came down from the mountaintop to teach us how to bless the blessed. He came down to tell us that blessed are you who are poor and you who are hungry and and you whose lives are filled with pain and sorrow. He's saying that someday those things are going to change and they're going to be different. But in, in the meantime, and not in the someday, in the here and now, I will touch you through my disciples who hear this word to be God's touch on someone else. To be the blessed who bless the blessed whom Jesus has identified. In the meantime, Christianity and and Christians are all about identifying with the poor. We we can't be a Christian if if we store up wealth for the future and ignore those people who have nothing in the present. We can't dine out richly every day and not be concerned about those who are hungry now. We can't laugh and have a good time and not care about those in this world, especially children who have never smiled. Our faith is an action faith. When we get in touch with all that God has done for us, we can't help but be God's touch on others who need it. You know, I want to share with you personally right now. I've been a United Methodist since I was a baby. Well, I guess that's not quite right. I was a Methodist for about six or seven years before I became a United Methodist because the United Methodist Church didn't exist till 1968. But I don't remember having much say in either of those choices. I came to faith through loving parents, grandparents, Sunday school teachers, loving pastors, the hymns that were sung with heart, the testimonies that were laced with tears, and the passionate people who were always teaching the lessons of Jesus and the love for others in a little bitty rural East Texas church. And most all of these people and experiences were in a United Methodist Church. And I want to stand here today and say to you that I learned the essence of being that blessing to the blessed through the United Methodist Church. And it would take me a lifetime to try to reciprocate all of the gratitude that I feel for that blessing on me that touch from God on me through the United Methodist Church. And yet we know God doesn't deal with paybacks. It's a gift of grace. The United Methodist Church taught me to sing the love song, the love song of Christ to others. The United Methodist Church has shown me faith of heart and has invited me to engage my mind. The United Methodist Church has introduced me to friends and colleagues and parishioners 
who are amazing. The United Methodist Church has brightened up some of my darkest nights. The United Methodist Church has been like a friend to me, a gift from the Holy Spirit, a constant, an unshakable friend in my highest highs and my lowest lows. The United Methodist Church has turned my focus from self to others. The United Methodist Church in a real sense has been my life and my living and my purpose. And the United Methodist Church has given me a passion to bless the blessed, the blessed, the poor, the hungry, the broken, the mourning, the lost. Now this week, we're going to go to General Conference. Yippee! We gather with delegates from literally all over the world. And we'll be coming together to deal with some very important business. We'll be coming together to make some decisions about what we say in our book of discipline and how inclusive we are going to be with gay and lesbian people that we cannot afford to reduce to simple initials LGBTQ. We'll have to remind ourselves in the midst of the deliberations that we're talking about people. We're not talking about issues or matters, but people. And these people, therefore sinners like you and me and forgiven and redeemed people like you and me, who we must deal with as children of God, and yet we've been in conflict over what to say and what to do for nearly 50 years. And what I want you to know as a congregation, as the one I shepherd, that at the end of general conference, we at Lover's Lane will enter a season of prayer and discernment and will change nothing immediately about how we as a church operate, no matter what General Conference does. And if the matters of the United Methodist Church swing more conservative than you are hoping for, I ask you to do nothing but pray and discern with me. If the results are more liberal than you have prayed they would be, then I ask you to do nothing but discern and pray with me. If no action is the verdict and you are disappointed with that outcome that we've spent all this time and energy for the last several years and we've done nothing, then I ask you to do nothing but pray and discern with me. And, and you know, when I ask you to pray and discern, I'm not asking you to do nothing. I'm asking you to do the most important thing we should be about right now is prayer 
and discernment. One thing is sure for us, and most of our sister and brother United Methodist, is the Sunday school song that sometimes we call the Methodist National Anthem is going to be sung on the Sunday after General Conference. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Our great Redeemer's praise. The glories of our God and King. The triumphs of His days. And the Sunday after General Conference, we'll gather here in one big celebration at 10.30 in the morning. Don't be late. And we're going to celebrate our 75 years of history as we look forward to the next 75 years. We will celebrate how God has moved people through the decades to bless the blessed, the poor, the hungry, the broken, the hopeless. General Conference isn't going to change any of that. We will celebrate how God has uniquely gifted us for such a time as this to be a testimony to others. And yes, Lover's Lane, you're a testimony to the entire denomination, what's going on here. And no matter what, we will keep keeping on as a church that the Holy Spirit leads us to be with joy and peace, overflowing hope, next Sunday and the next Sunday and for the next 75 years at least. And no matter what General Conference decides, church, we know that the most powerful and effective level of the church's work is the local level. And what goes on here through Lover's Lane for the greater Dallas area is our primary mission field. That will not change. And that is what brings us together. Isn't that right? Do you believe that? Can you say amen just to kind of... We must remember... We are a people called Lover's Lane United Methodist Church and we are charged by Jesus himself to bless the blessed. Got it? I think I'll quit.